Hi, and welcome to January Men, the January Boys fancast. I'm trapped in a sick bay with no means of escape. And I'm cruising for a bruising. Today on the podcast, we're going to discuss the first film in a little bit more depth, as was requested by our Lord and Savior, Jeff Bezos. O Bezos, we obey thy commands. We Zos them as well. Zos to you. Zos to all. Would you uh, like to start us off? Maybe start talking about the film a little bit? The first movie is really what puts this juggernaut of a franchise in motion, but it begins as kind of this indie, you know, this heartfelt indie movie, which I think is really wonderful. Yeah, I agree. Um, It's sort of the patient zero for all films um, in the franchise. It starts small, uh, starts contained, and then it explodes and expands beyond an epidemic or pandemic radius. Yeah, I just... I think the origin story for how the movie began is really fascinating. Uh, For those who don't know, the original script was written by uh, the Dark Angelo brothers. Yeah, Morpheus Darkangelo and Stavros Darkangelo, the Darkangelo twins, are responsible for the first two movies in the franchise. They are actually conjoined twins. Um, They're conjoined at the face. Um, I love their work. Have Have you seen anything else that they've done besides these? I've been digging around trying to get copies, but uh, it's really difficult to find their movies that aren't related to January Boys, which is too bad because they have such a unique voices as writer. They have the most unique voices as one writer that I've ever seen. Uh, Their poetry is amazing. Their doctorate on Dadaism we went into a little bit, but... Uh, mostly that was Stavros. Uh, Morpheus is more of a cubist. Stavros is the funny man of the twins and uh, is the one who punched up most of the jokes in the franchise. Right. I did reach out to him to try to get him on the show. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to drag Morpheus along. But Well, I hope we get to hear from either one of them. Hopefully both. That would That would mean a lot, frankly. And if we're lucky, maybe, I don't know, maybe they've got some films, uh, some copies of their original films stashed away somewhere. But, uh, you know, even if they had only written January Boys, I think that would really just place them high in the rankings of cinematic writers. Uh, This story of love and friendship and adventure in Montana has, well, it's taken our our hearts, obviously. That's why we've been doing this podcast and uh, why we want to make sure that we can reach others and just share it, share the love we feel for this franchise with everyone and meet other acolytes and uh, that our power may grow exponentially. Correct. Well, let's start diving into the first film a little bit. We, we kind of talked about our favorite scenes, but Let's go over plot points for the people who haven't seen it or who just want to be reminded of the excellence that is the Dark Angelo's first work. Me, personally, I can't believe anyone hasn't seen the film, but I do like to be reminded of things. Right. I, I love to be reminded of things, especially when I'm walking down a dark alley in the middle of the night and I'm reminded of all the trauma. The first film starts off, we open up on Jeb, played by Hannibal Burris, entering a new school in the middle of winter... Uh, mid-quarter or mid-semester, I don't really know how schools work. 
he feels a little trapped by being part of this political family, and he's being sent to uh, this high-end school in Montana, this very exclusive school. It's a it's a well-known school for uh, political families. Uh, I mean, Joe Biden's family sends him there. People who want their families to succeed and want their families to strive and want their families to slowly take over the Illuminati. Exactly. you got to work your way up in that organization, and that means proper schooling. Yeah, it's a really tough market to break into, uh, but the school that they end up sending him to, uh, Westminster High, is um, a school in the mountains, uh, hidden away, tucked in the Montana vistas that we discussed earlier. Yeah, exactly, and so it starts off, you got this fish-out-of-water thing where Jeb Bush is from a proper family, like a lot of them, but he's a little shy. You know, he's smart, but he doesn't get out of his shell that often, and so it's hard for him to make friends as easily as some people do, and uh, you've got that kind of plot line going. And enter Joe Biden, cock the walk, big man on campus, and he... Is dressed like a rooster. It's just part of his popularity, part of his style. Golden Joe, sometimes they call him. Yeah, uh, he really does try to embody that whole cock of the walk. And Shy Jeb, played by Hannibal Burris, such depth, such emotion, shies away from this rooster man. As one would, most of the time. New school, new rooster man. Uh, you really wouldn't expect the rooster man to take a liking to you i know that a lot of people have to gain the rooster man's respect at that age every high school has its rooster man it's been well documented in greece and in uh, high school rooster man the disney film and we all know it's really difficult to gain favor with the rooster man when they first appear but for some reason joe biden takes a liking to shy little jeb he sees a sparkle in his eye he sees something this je ne sais quoi this something and that is the first scene which is interrupted uh this slow motion sort of eye contact is interrupted by principal stewart uh would you like to go into the sort of the personality of principal stewart i know you studied this uh in film school yeah principal stewart is sort of this archetypical figure from you know a lot of films they've got this alternate like he's a villain he's a mentor He's a man of mystery. He's sometimes literally a magician. He takes cards out of students' ears and brings rabbits out of lockers that weren't supposed to be there. He's a lot like Yoda and a lot like Count Dooku in certain ways. Yuku. Yuku. And he's also authority and anti-authority in one because he's got to keep all these students in line and he's got to keep, you know, these leaders of tomorrow in order, and he's got to make sure that they're going to learn what they need to learn to lead this new world order that's going to, you know, take charge of us all. But he's also kind of fostering a little bit of anti-authoritarianism in his own way. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, he's very much flower power and machine gun power, sort of wrapped into one mysterious bundle. Uh, But when he's introduced, he's... But when he's introduced, he's very much the authoritarian, and he says to Joe, what the fuck are you doing? Which is how most authoritarians speak. Yeah. 
just right up. He gets right up in the rooster man's face, and that's not gonna go over well with most rooster men. Right. But Joe kind of just gives him a smirk and turns on his heel and hops on that motorcycle and jets right off. Right down the hall. Exactly. Down the hall. Down the hall, Joe goes on his motorcycle, which is a big scandal, but you get that that sense that Jeb respects him for that. Yeah. So... Principal Stewart comes in, he interrupts the rooster man because he's not supposed to be part of the welcome wagon at that moment. Every new student, especially mid-semester students, in this school we learn, get a welcome wagon led by Principal Stewart and uh, the rooster man and a couple other key figures. But Principal Stewart starts it and Joe has this tendency of just cutting right in there, which is why we get this confrontation in the beginning. And the confrontation really is on a larger scale and on a smaller scale, a subatomic scale, between neutrality and evil not so much good but neutrality and evil it's true i think you can also argue that there's almost not like in the literal sense but in the emotional sense almost a sort of love triangle between joe biden principal stewart and jeb in that joe and principal stewart are kind of vying for jeb's soul his future you know they embody different aspects yeah, sort of a quantum love scenario where they're mm-hmm. talking not about romance so much as aspects of the future that we cannot see. Exactly. That's what gives the movie its heart right off the bat. Yeah, and it's the eye contact between the two. You, you do see sparks fly between Joe and Jeb right off the bat, but that's not brought up again until the homeroom scene. There's this whole monologue as they're walking by the rooms about honor and discipline, but underneath... Underneath that, Principal Stewart is sowing the seeds of dissent, which I think is a very powerful call to action. Uh, and uh, on the Dark Angelo's part, I'm not sure which one wrote this, probably Morpheus, but on their part, it's it's a beautiful contradiction. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so you've got a real kind of duality uh, going on already. So there's going to be conflict uh, throughout the film, so you're already like you're in you're in it um so homeroom scene comes up and they're sitting there and you know you got joe no longer in rooster garb uh in the back in his leather jacket and he's got a cigarette in his mouth because you know it's the 50s and smoking didn't cause cancer back then and so he's sitting in the back of the classroom and the teacher walks in and lo and behold it is a multi-armed being of light which is amazing to me that they could hire someone with such a it's it crosses cultural boundaries in a way that I never expected. I was never impressed by it. Well, I mean, maybe it's just how I was raised, you know. We didn't have a lot of experience with multi-limbed beings of light uh in my small hometown. Oh, that that was it. I that's it. I, they were all around where I was growing up. So I guess I didn't realize the impact that had. So that's I guess check my privilege. Selena's had a lot of uh, multi-limbed beings of light. Surprisingly so, but, like, I wasn't surprised until I left. So then it it just was a haven for multi-armed beings of light. I didn't realize it was something extraordinary. They must be fans of Steinbeck then, huh? Yeah, I guess so. That's uh, He writes a lot about that kind of life. Is that racist? I apologize for any multi-limbed beings of light that are offended by my lack of knowledge and my ignorance. But moving on, um, they have this wonderful scene... It's homeroom. Homeroom is history for them. And Joe's just making eyes 
like any rooster man would to their potential uh to their potential castmate because as we all know the traditional american high school system has a caste system in place rooster man on top underneath of course the authority figures brahmin rooster man up there and then there was like record player octopus friend and then way at the bottom pile of mud yeah and then new kid way down there so new kid is the only one that can really move within that system. The American school system has always been a fascinating study for me. Yeah, well, we like to pretend we don't have a caste system, but we do. And uh, the film acknowledges that, and uh, that's part of the thing that makes it really unique in this genre is the openness with which it treats that caste system. You know, and you get to see a lot of... There's so many characters. We could spend a long time on the cast of characters that are in it, but what it really boils down into is the the relationship that is created between uh, Jeb and Joe. I think the first time they have the eyes, they have some of those signs of respect, but there's also that scene... I think it's the detention scene where they really bond, right, and where they start to become a team. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, but how do they get to detention? Let's talk about that. So that is a that's a pretty uh, fantastic scene as well. It's boy, uh, it's shot amazingly. I, I I've never seen such a Rube Goldbergian. Right. It was a, it was like watching uh, an OK Go music video that lasted twenty minutes. Yeah, it's a twenty minute scene in PE where the pirate subplot is actually introduced to the coach. Uh, Coach Blackbeard, I mean... Giveaway. You should have, yeah, dead giveaway. It's a little on the nose, but but where Coach Blackbeard is uh, forcing young Jeb to get in there and play kickball with the rest of them, and everybody's just kind of wailing on Jeb, and then Joe steps in. He and Jeb are like back-to-back in the kickball ring, fending off all the balls, kicking them, punching them, biting some of them, and just sending them off into different areas of the school that sets off a whole chain reaction, especially with that one ball that rolls, and they have all these cutaways to this one kickball going into the shop area that's going to set off the welding kit. When it sets off the welding kit, that lights a flame underneath a thermometer, which raises a balloon, which hits a hammer, which moves the hammer to hit a bell, which moves the bell to hit uh, actually one of the other teachers, which is a whole thing in and of itself that scene where coach blackbeard coach regina blackbeard is just letting all of this happen and joe calls her out that spoke to me uh because i have a problem with authority and authority has a problem with me then of course what happens they go to detention there's that beautiful moment where joe's quip totally just throws regina blackbeard off coach regina blackbeard is like hey And then he's like, hey. Like, she didn't expect him to respond. And next scene, detention. Bam. It was amazing. It was, I mean, you you think he's going to get away with it, too, sticking up for the little guy. But because of the implications of the caste system, he doesn't get away with it, and they're both thrown in detention. The giveaway there, besides her name, that she's a pirate, is she says, 50 lashes! And then whips her cat of nine tails, which... I thought was a big thing because again, small town, not a lot of pirates. I love the the pirate plot line in the first movie uh, because I didn't expect pirates in Montana. But when do you expect pirates? There are thieves everywhere. There, are, who among us is not has not been a pirate of something? I would download a T-shirt. It's the only way. I mean, they should be free. I like that 
having that plot acknowledges the pirate in all of us, but also it questions the morality of it. It, it gives you something to think about. And then uh, you have, as you're already kind of mulling over what what was going on with that, then you have this tender scene between Jeb and Joe as they wait in the as they're sitting there in detention and they talk about family, what it means and how they got here and uh, what it's like to be iconoclasts in this system. They do talk a lot about family. Um, it comes out that Joe Biden's dad is a lamprey. That was interesting to me as well because although they changed Joe's teeth, they still wanted to acknowledge his uh, upbringing and his culture. Uh, we, we see in the second movie, Doug Jones plays the lamprey father. It really, it's it's a powerful, powerful scene when they start to join forces. Yeah, and uh, it's also the scene where Jeb asks Joe to go to the 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 big dance. Yeah, it is, which is a big step because, of course, Joe uh, rejects him right off the bat. Yeah, can't corner the rooster man. As we all know, the rooster man must uh, throw rejections out right and left at least four times before saying yes to any anything like do you want steak no do you want food no do you want any sort of meal at all no and then the rooster man just goes yes yes we can yes i shall and eats which is why jeb asks him four times in one long take i thought it was all just one take. I thought they forgot to edit it out at first. And the scene kind of goes like this. It's like, will you go to the... No. Will you go to... No. Will you go to... No. And it's... Like, I thought that... Like, you thought they, they just edited it incorrectly, but it's just a custom. It's just a classic American custom that we all have to abide by. When the rooster man cometh, the rooster man saith nay. Exactly. I've just never seen it on film. The other way that the Dark Angelo brothers are bringing something to the screen that we hadn't seen before. And to his credit, director Alan Smithy has been rolling with them. He's been hard to get in touch with. Everyone's heard the name. And he does so much in the industry, you know? When you see him write, you see him direct, you see him do lighting, you see him train bears. It's amazing that Alan Smithy is such a multi-talented director uh, working with uh, conjoined twin writers who he gave complete control over certain situations. Yeah. And it was hard because they almost, they write in different genres, but they write the same script, but each of them specializes in different genres, which is why this movie seems like it has a little bit of everything in it, you know? Yeah. Smithy really brings a lot of realism to these films. Um, and, and so do the Dark Angelo brothers. I mean, they do dive into the realities of being an American in the 50s in high school and falling in love. And it's amazing. It really is. I say amazing a lot. It's sort of my go-to word. Uh, it's like a nervous tick, amazing. But I mean it in this instance. But no others. Amazing, right. Amazing, correct. Yeah, um, I mean what I say when I mean it and not when I don't say it. Do you know what I mean? And this movie really, I connect with that on that level. Yeah, yes. Especially with Golden Joe. That's how Golden Joe rolls. Yeah, that's how the Rooster Man do, indeed. I love that line. I love it when he says yes, and Jeb just bursts into tears of, of joy, and he goes, that's how the Rooster Man do. That's how the Rooster Man do. And I live my life by that line. It really, it really connected with me 
Yeah, I mean, that's why everybody had that poster. That's how the rooster man do with good old Biden. Yeah. I got I got mine on my wall still. So that scene is interrupted by Stuart, who comes in and he's angry as hell, and he goes, Joe, what have you done this time? And, you know, in classic Stuart fashion, he low-fives him because, again, dissent authority dissent authority push and pull did you see that twist did you see that twist that he would be the leader of the pirates because i did not i totally didn't i really i loved principal Stewart though I, even though i hate i kind of you know i fought against them but i loved him but i hated him he's like our all that figure and then he was the pirate leader in the end and it really threw me i had to watch it a second yeah. time to look for all the clues uh like the hidden eye patches. The uh, the Jolly Roger behind the ear tattoo. Mm-hmm. The earring. Like, I thought he was just being a hip dad type figure. The parrot in his office. Yeah. That one, that one was... I liked that one a lot because it's so subtle, but so screechingly loud at the same time. Yeah, but you just, you don't think about it until you're like, oh yeah, that parrot is screeching extremely loudly. And that's just another compliment to Smithy's directing skills because you you think about what he wants you to think about. Yeah, I, I don't know how he did it. I really don't know. It's a, it's mysterious uh, and wonderfully done. It Everything starts ramping up to the nth degree here because you got some of our favorite set pieces coming up, and you got the dance. Oh, the dance. I love the theme of their dance. Bus Stops of Paris. Bus Stops of Paris is probably one of my favorite dance themes in in cinematic history and the scenes are in french subtitled in english which is i i don't know if they had french class or if they just redubbed them i don't know exactly how they did it but it all becomes like black and white like an old french film and they're all speaking french but just for the dance yeah and the way it's done is so smooth that you'd think it would be jarring but uh, again smithy's directing you see joe and jeb in tuxes and they walk into the gym where it's being held, which, foreshadowing, doesn't end well. Blackbeard, Coach Blackbeard, is chaperoning the dance. If you haven't seen it already, stop the podcast now. Go watch it. I don't want to ruin this critical moment for you. But that scene is so well done, and the transition is so smooth, you almost don't even realize they're speaking French because it's so well done. Uh, it, you just kind of understand it. Uh, like with the Morse code in other scenes, you just kind of feel it on a deep, instinctual level. Sure, the English subtitles help a lot. I think you could watch it without the subtitles and totally understand everything that's happening. Maybe except up until the, maybe up until the point that Buddy Holly shows up. Right. Uh, once Buddy Holly shows up, speaking just flat out German, that's where it that, threw me. I'm still a little confused by that, but the songs are still catchy. They're great songs. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool that they, you know, that Buddy Holly shows up at this school with uh, Richie Valens and the ghost of the Big Bopper. Yeah, um, the fact that the Big Bopper shows up at all is really a tribute to their casting director. They found the actual ghost of the Big Bopper. Of course, as we all know, Big Bopper has always been a ghost and always will be a ghost and has been a ghost since time immemorial. That's what the song great balls of fire is about yeah the jerry lee lewis song great balls of fire is about the balls of fire that herald the big bopper's arrival like we're in this film buddy holly comes out and he's singing his songs in german and then richie valens is doing that one song la bamba great balls of fire 
show up. There's three balls of fire that just surround the stage. And everyone says, goodness gracious, and that's the incantation. And then the big bopper's ghost uh, phases through the floor up onto the stage. Actually, I was watching a documentary about this, and they didn't tell the ghost of the big bopper that he'd be in the film. They just summoned him. Uh, the casting director was a necromancer. Well, that brought a lot of authenticity to this role. And, you know, Big Bopper doesn't miss a beat. I mean, he never did in the first place, and that's what's so great about his music and why it stands the test of time. Every single song. Yeah, his uh, magnum opus, Big Bopper's Day Off, is probably my favorite opera of all time. Again, It's also moving, which is why it plays over the credits. Yeah. Yeah, the Big Bopper, as we call it. In certain circles, sure. Yeah, exactly. And so then we got the big dance scene. Um, and Je- Jeb and Joe have their first kiss here. Very slow motion. Very wet. And so, so good. Golden. They shine with just talent. Like, I've never seen a tongue used like that. It never will be again, I'm sure. I think it was kind of a... A one-time thing. It's it's never been the same, even in the other films. This is that's the one. Yeah, they try to replicate that in the second and third films, and I think they just give up after that because there's that moment they had to they had to film that moment maybe eighty different times because the just the inherent glow of that kiss actually caused lens flare that was so bad that they had to get new lenses because it was staining the lenses with light. Which I didn't know was a thing, but of course I grew up in a small town, so... That drove up the budget for the film, but uh, in the end, uh, they still made more money than they spent on it, and we got all these sequels, so I'm really glad. Yeah. You know. Well, $16 was a terrible budget in the first place. They really should have talked to somebody about that. Yeah, I don't don't know who did that. That seems like poor planning. And, uh, but after the highlight of that kiss then it's revealed that someone stole the the blue sapphire that was stole that was being stored at the school which no one mentioned i don't think they just they do pan over it in the opening scene just it's in the background that's what it is, yeah, yeah in the trophy case along with like swimming uh, trophies yeah. mountaineering trophies uh esperantist trophies that's another reason you got to rewatch the film to keep tabs on that blue sapphire and then they that's when they notice that uh, Blackbeard isn't there anymore, and they put two and two together. And they go after that goddamn pirate. With the Big Bopper's help. Is, uh, the Big Bopper actually is the one who helps reveal Principal Stewart as, uh, Stewbeard the pirate. Could be it's never really determined, it's not clarified if they're ghost pirates or just real pirates, but they're pirates, and now they have the sapphire that the school has been storing, and Jeb and Joe don't want to believe it of Principal Stewart. You know? The world has let them down. Principal Stewart has let them down. And now they become men. Some amazing improv, by the way, on the part of the Ghost of the Big Bopper, considering he was not written into the script originally. Makes you wonder if it was, like, was it planned? If the Big Bopper didn't, like, know that? the Why the actor playing Principal Stewart just had pirates? clothing underneath you know i was watching the uh the herzog documentary about this they were actual pirates they didn't know wow yeah it's amazing it really is it really yeah it's a fantastic documentary if you ever get a chance to watch it some people think it's better than 
the film itself, which I, I might take some issue with that, but mm. I've heard wonderful things about that documentary. It's amazing that they got – see, it's Werner Herzog, of course, famous filmmaker and documentary and documentarian, made that film where he hauled a boat over and through the Amazon jungle and that they actually brought the pirate ships into uh, up the mountains in Montana – and uh, they wanted him on board as yeah. a consultant how to do it. Because they're real pirate ships. They're real pirate ships, which I guess were infested with actual pirates. And they needed Herzog's help to get them up there. And he documented every goddamn minute of it. It's amazing. It really is. I keep saying it, but it's because I've got a nervous tick. But in the end, and then uh, Principal Stewart throws a smoke bomb and is gone. And they gotta get that. they got to get that sapphire back. Yeah, once once they give chase to Principal Stewart, Blackbeard reveals herself to also be a pirate, and um, and there and Jeb and Joe are like, yeah, we know, yeah, we like, that part out, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not idiots, you know. Then they go and they give chase. They chase each other for a long time. It seems it's a shorter movie, but it seems like they they chase each other for a good what ten minutes before ending up on that slope. It's like 9 minutes, 37 seconds. Yeah. Of this, like, Beatles, Hard Day's Night-style chase scene in and out of doors and outside. Some, you know, Stuart's hiding behind rocks, and then they run past him, and he pops up from behind rocks. They come past, then they are behind rocks, and he's running around, and it goes on for a while. Yeah, and then, you know, Jeb is nowhere to be found. And we think he's kidnapped by Stuart, and Joe rushes in, steals the diamond. And then your favorite scene. I love, I love, love, love this scene. The snowboarding chase down the mountain. Beautiful, beautiful swishing on behalf of Joe. It's the editing, too. I mean, it's really Joe going down the mountain. Joe's got to outrun those pirate ships, and the mountain is melting. So those pirate ships are sailing down mm-hmm. the water that that ice is becoming, that the snow is becoming... As because it's becoming, uh, it's right. getting warmer. And then Jeb swoops in right at the end, snaps him, and then we cut, bam, to the, uh, they're back at home, they're back at school. The next day, it's almost like nothing happened, and they're, they have to think to themselves, was it a dream? What is the nature of reality? You know, it touches on that. The Laffy Taffy scene comes soon after that, which we don't have to even discuss that. It's just such... It's it's well-known. Everyone's seen it. Even the people that haven't seen the movie. Yeah, everyone's... If they haven't seen January Boys, they've seen the Laffy Taffy scene. Just from montages, best of cinema, compilations. Vine compilations just kind of sneak it in there sometimes. America's Home Videos sometimes plays it when there's nothing better. And there is nothing better. So every week they play it. And they have another chase scene. This one's five minutes. Yeah, long chase scene. And at the end, they're trying to catch Principal Stewart, and they catch each other. They do. They catch each other and uh, Bad Case of Mono. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, they celebrate January 32nd, which we kind of talked about already, uh, but I hate to minimalize any scene. I hate to... I hate to downgrade any scene and how important it is because 
really what it is is everything that Smithy puts in there and every every line that da that the Darkangelo twins kind of toss in there, even if it seems insignificant, it's very powerful and very meaningful. And I we we've spent so much time talking about it already. I'm almost exhausted. But that last scene, that January thirty second scene, it changed movies forever. It changed the way we think about time forever. I I don't know how it affected you, but um, it affected me medically. It changed my blood type. It changes lives. I mean, that's a lot of times that's still a doctor's treatment. Is to at least if things if it's not something simple, they'll show you the January thirty second scene from January Boys. Yeah, uh, and. Now there's a. Uh... Well, I mean, infant deaths have definitely gone down. Um, okay. I think that's all I have for today. I mean, man, we've been going at it for a while, and I feel like we barely scraped the surface of it, but we got mo more movies to get to. I'm sure we'll come back to some of the particulars on here, but, uh,. Suffice it to say that that's some of the brilliance of the first January Boys film, and it ends with that melancholy scene where they know Jeb's going to have to go back for the summer, but he'll be back again next winter. Yeah, and then we are introduced to his family later on in the in the second movie, which I really, I can't wait to get to. Oh yeah, it's, that's an interesting one. That's maybe the most controversial installment but, uh, so that's going to be an interesting episode. So tune in next time for that one. Um, then, the, you know, of course there's the after credit scene, which just gives me a headache because I'm trying very hard just to deny every truth that it throws at me or fracture my fragile sense of reality. But God damn it, it. It pushes me, and it pushes me, and sometimes I just fast-forward through the credits. I know it's terrible. No one ever skips the credits in movies. It just... It's like a taboo, but, um... Yeah, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Well, that's why I have to leave the room when you're doing that. I just don't want to be associated with that. But I know you've got to do what you have to do. Yeah, I just don't... I can't go through that again every time. Every it's at the four hundredth and so that's all right. We'll just 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 watch YouTube clips of the January thirty second scene. Yeah, it's good. It's a good one. Um, well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in your dreams. If anybody wants to submit any fan art of the of their uh, bus stops of Paris dance that they'd like to attend or if your school has had a bus stops of paris themed prom you should send that to us at january pod on twitter uh also you can find us on itunes and stitcher right now uh right now i'm there currently i'm looking at it i'm looking through my laptop into your laptop and i'm reaching out with the power of bezos and you guys are disgusting disgusting what are you doing? Ugh. Why? God. Don't, don't you know he's watching? Don't you know? I'm hey. always watching. Well, soon they'll learn. 
Soon they'll learn. Do you have anything to say to them before we leave? Keep January in your heart. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening. Remember, we are always watching. Hail Bezos. Hail Bezos. January Men is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Davis Banta. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter B for Bells, Bar, and Bezos. The music for this episode was Take Me Higher by Jazar from the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends.